I am so honored to be here at this first day of the Feast of Sukkot with all of you. You know, I think we have to get used to this because you're going to sit with these people one day in eternity. <laughs> and isn't that what this is all about, what we are looking forward to? We are assembling together and we are under this biggest sukkah that I've ever seen. <laughs> and most important, importantly, we are here for our Father, for Yeshua, for what He has done for us. For anyone who may not know about the biblical feast days, we have the feast of Passover where He was sacrificed. We have the feast of unleavened bread where He was put in the grave. We have the feast of first fruits where He was raised. Fifty days later, we have the Holy Spirit poured out on the feast of Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. And that brings us to this, the fulfillment of the spring feast, all about His first coming. But He is coming again, is what the Bible says. And He's coming at, with the sound of a trumpet, reminiscent of the sound of trumpets. We then have the Day of Atonement, which was just now past, where He would come and He will judge. And those who have atonement will have atonement, and those who don't, won't. And then we come to the Feast of Sukkot, where we are standing today, which all points to the marriage, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And this, you know, when we think about this on the timeline we are in right now, we are looking forward to that wedding feast. But, you know, I don't know, there's something that you, there's something you have right now. I want to submit to you. You can have a lot of things there that you don't have now. But there's something you have now that you won't have there. Time. Time to prepare. You see, I, I remember when I got married to my beautiful wife, Christina, right? What, what we face when we get married is really a, a culmination of, of preparation. Like your whole life, we, we often prepare for getting, becoming a husband or becoming a wife, if that's what the Lord has for you. And then when you get to that place and you have the wedding and you're now married, then the test really comes as to whether you were actually as prepared as you thought you were to be a good wife or to be a good husband. And so I want to submit to you, today there is time. You are betrothed to the King, but He is coming back at the blowing of trumpets. And my question to you is, is when that wedding occurs, will you be ready? Because now is the time to ready yourself. You see, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question. And, and I want you to raise your hand if this is you. Have you ever, since you came to faith, and for, from back there to the point where you're sitting here today, some of our journeys are years, some of our journeys may be weeks. Regardless, let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a moment in this journey of faith and relationship with Yeshua where you felt like something was missing? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Has you ever felt that something is missing? And you, you, maybe you could put your finger on it. Maybe you couldn't at that moment, but something was missing. Now, let me ask you a second question. I want you to raise your hand if this is you. Is there anyone here who at this moment today has that feeling come upon them again that something is missing and maybe you can put your finger on it maybe you can't if that's you why don't you raise your hand you see Yeshua 
at about 2,000 years ago, he stood at a feast of Sukkot. He stood up and he talked to the crowd and he told them, something is missing. There is something that I have for you that you need that you don't have. Let me read what he said. John 7, 37. He said, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Yeshua stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because he was not yet glorified. You see, he's standing up there and he's saying, there's something missing. But, I mean, hold up a second. Let's just like, well, rewind. Because these people, they're going to synagogue every Sabbath. They're reading from their Torah scroll. The law has been handed down to them long ago. And a lot of them are really good at keeping a lot of those laws. But yet here comes this man, who is he? And he says, something is missing. You don't have it all figured out. I'm sorry. There's something missing. And he says, I am the key. I am a reverse of living water. And if you drink of me, you will become a spring of living water too. Let me read on. In the book of Revelation 22 verse 1, we read about this heavenly realm and, and it's written, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river was the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. You see, similar to what Yeshua just told us about, at the Feast of Sukkot, how rivers of living water flow from Him. We read in Revelation about these rivers of water flowing from the throne and from the Lamb. But see, sometimes when we read the book of Revelation, we think about this future place, right? And that's what it is. It's describing a future place. Yes, oh, the, the river is flowing from the throne of God. Oh yeah, one day, one day, one day, we're going to be able to take part in that. But Yeshua at the feast of Sukkot on earth 2,000 years ago said, I have living water for you. When the Spirit is poured out from there on out, you will have access to this thing that Revelation says is in heaven. Do you get where I'm getting at? He's saying, I, you have access because when I ascend to my Father, it is good that I go because a part of heaven is coming down. The Holy Spirit will descend upon you and you will be able to partake in a piece of heaven in this earth, in this realm today. It's not far off. You see, brothers and sisters, sometimes we're just like the people of Israel at the Mount, base of Mount Sinai or, you know, telling Moses, Moses, we, we can't get up there. We can't face God. You, you get up there. You do that part. We'll stay down here. And it's... And, you know, today it's not for the law that we say that. It's not for necessarily that, but it's for, and it's not Mount Sinai, but it's Mount Zion. The base of Mount Zion. See, Mount Zion was the place where the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. 
And many of us, we're afraid. We're afraid of what does that really mean? What does that really look like? What, is, what, what does it mean for that part of heaven to come down and for me to partake in it today? See, if you live in a world as the world we're living that's really dark, it does mean that it's really radical, really different, really weird to the world. So my, but my question to you is, where are you in this? Where, how hungry are you in this? Are you satisfied? Because see, look, here's the deal. When Yeshua was walking and telling them about living water flying from Him, there were people in the crowd who kept Torah, but they weren't interested in that. There were people who knew the Bible better than you, who kept the laws better than you probably ever will or know it, who were Pharisees who rejected Him even though He walked right in the midst of them, Him. My point is just that the, the law is holy, righteous, good, beautiful. But let's, let's remember that there was something missing that Yeshua came to bring. We read this prayer. Yeshua told us about it in Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is this prayer that we're supposed to be praying about His kingdom coming on earth. You see, it's not just a future place. It's not just this, pl it's not just this place I'm going to get to. You see, brothers and sisters, for some of us, and I'm not blaming you because this is what, Christi what, what not Christianity, the faith of following Yeshua, how many of us got introduced to Him, has been, in a way, we are f running after a tree more than running after a person. And what I mean by that is, you see, we just read in Revelation about the tree of life. And many of us, we came to faith on, at a church pulpit uh, in the pews of a church or, or maybe on a street corner, wherever it was, some evangelist approached you, praise God, you, however you came to faith. But sometimes the promise has been that just pray this prayer after me and you can go to heaven. I mean, that sounds like a really good deal. I don't know about you, but, but like, you know, I, I don't know who wouldn't do that. Like, I just say a, a few words and, and that's what I get out of this deal. Like, sign me up. And I mean, that, that is good. The, the promise of salvation, the access to the tree of life, it is beyond our wildest imaginations that He brought that for us. But here's the deal. Husbands, I have a question for you. If you, you're married today, and if, but if you found out tomorrow that your wife has only ever been with you because of that money in your wallet, how would that make you feel? Would that not break your heart? Would that not mean that that covenant was started on rocky soil? And that is that love even real? All these questions, because the main reason she was ever with me was for my money. But yet, why is it okay for us to come to faith just for that tree? Just for access to that heavenly place. And see, that's part of it. Just like your wife marrying you, yes, she does get what's mine is yours, honey. That's true. But what is the main reason you're here today? What's the main reason you're following Yeshua? Is it because you're running after a tree all over again? Or is it because for Yeshua, I just want to see you face to face. Like, I want to know you. I want to be with you one day. I want to be married to you one day. That's why I'm here. That's why I want to know you. 
That's the point of all of this. You know what? Uh, it's been a long time since I ever really thought about, wow, I get to be in heaven. That's going to be amazing. Like, for me, it's so much deeper than that. And I'm saying all of this because if you are in a place in your heart, and you need to be honest here tonight, brothers and sisters, if you're in a place in your heart today still where it's more about getting into heaven than getting Him, then what I'm about to talk about this week is not going to be of interest to you. Because I'm going to be talking about something so much deeper, so much more amazing than just getting through those gates into heaven. I'm going to talk about what if we could bring a part of that heavenly place down here just like He wanted it to be from the beginning. What if that is something to do with why you're here today? What if that's something to do with why He showed you what He showed you? Why you're even here? Many of us have, have wondered, Lord, why me? Why have you shown me these things? Well, what if it, is, if it is for a time like this, a day like today, to become a part of this kingdom that He has started? But you can ask me, well, Petey, I, I don't see any kingdom. Where is this kingdom? I want to see it. Show it to me. You see, the Pharisees, they came to Yeshua with this very question. They said, Luke 17, 20, And when He was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, Look here, look there. For the, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. In, within you. You see, he's talking again. How he keeps, it keeps being repeated throughout the pages of our Bibles. How from, he says, drink of me, and then from in you, a spring of living water will flow. And now again, we're reading, he's saying, the kingdom of God will be within you coming out. But he says, it's not in the way that people would expect. It's not going to be this thing where everyone's going to be like, look there, there's revival. Let's, let's, oh, look there, there, there it is. Let's go, look. You see, the, the Pharisees, they were looking for a Messiah. Like, like many, many in Judaism in his day, in the first century, they were looking for a Messiah. But then when Yeshua was walking in front of them, they were looking for a Messiah. And as He did even miracles before them, they were looking for a Messiah. Even though He was right in front of them, they couldn't see Him because what they were looking for was not what was there, what the Father was doing. And I want to submit to you that for some of us, brothers and sisters, many of us are looking for the Holy Spirit and we've raised our hands. Something is missing. It's true. But what if the Holy Spirit is not going to be look here, look there. The kingdom of God is not look here, look there. What if the kingdom of God is inside of you waiting to be unleashed and you're waiting, you're waiting for something that you're going to wait a long time for because you're looking for the wrong thing. You're expecting something that it's not. And instead of becoming revival, you've been waiting for it and you'll wait until the day you die because you haven't understood that it's always been within you. But you've never believed what the Word has simply said and instead you've tried to look. Because I don't know about you, but look, I'm, I'm tired of looking. I'm tired of, of, of searching for this thing. What if we simply need to start believing what He said? Come on! So what does it mean when He says, the kingdom of God is within you? What, 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 I mean, that's just like, well, what does that even mean? How, how do I get there? And You see, for us to really understand what He means, we need to understand the temple. 
Because see, the temple, everything you, all those weird laws in Leviticus, it's all about what I'm talking about today. You see, the, the temple was, let me start in the beginning. We're kicked out of the garden. We've sinned. We've fallen. We're outside. We can't come near Him because of our sin. And God comes and meets Israel in the wilderness. He sends up a tent of meeting where He allows His presence to be in and for that high priest to enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. To, and that's, about, that's how close we get to His presence at that point. But that's the temple. That's the start of Him drawing near. And when we go inside that temple, when you look on the walls, when you look at how it's decorated, what you find is something interesting. 1 Kings 6.29 we read, The walls of the main room and of the inner room were all decorated with carved figures of the winged creatures, palm trees, and flowers. So we see these plants inside as decorations. And as well, angels. It makes you think of the garden, doesn't it? You see, in the garden, we had a garden full of beautiful plants and we had angels and and especially by the end of the journey angels were appointed before the entrance to the garden to keep man out with a flaming sword going to the left and to the right keeping Adam and Eve and man out because they've been kicked out of the garden but now look at what we see upon the veil you know that inner place where his presence is in the temple on the veil itself what we see it's decorated with an to uh, Chronicles 3.14 And he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson fabrics and fine linen and he worked cherubim on it. So we see that this picture of what happened in the garden with these angels standing before it is now also on the veil itself. In other words, the veil to that innermost place is a picture of the gate that has been closed where no one can enter for they will die if they encounter the glory of God in their unholy unrighteous, unatoned for state. But see, brothers and sisters, what, what we see then is the temple becomes this centerpiece of worshiping God. And when we fast forward to the first century, right, you, you think about the temple, the temple is everything in how we approach God. Everyone would from all over the world in that known day, that known world, would come to Jerusalem. They would come to the temple on the feast days, as you all know, because this is how you get a little bit closer to His presence. Just, just he's, he's there. I can't get face to face. I can't get in there even like the high priest, but I can get a little closer. I can bring my sacrifices a little closer. It's not perfect yet, but it's a little closer. And then be inside of that, beyond the veil, what is in there is... Our most, one of our most prized possessions. The, the law that was given, handed down, the tablets of stone is in there. And also, the Spirit of God hovers over the mercy seat. So the Spirit and the truth is beyond the veil. And we cannot enter it. You see, you don't have access to the truth at that point. Yes, they knew with knowledge what it said, but their flesh was at enmity with it and they could not keep it. They continuously broke it and fell short of His glory. And they don't have access to His Spirit because you can't have a Holy Spirit on an unholy vessel. And so we see now Yeshua, He comes to this Samaritan woman at a well. You know the story. He meets her there and He tells her something, well, she asks Him something really interesting. 
Because she knows the temple is everything. And she asks, where is it supposed to be? On Mount Gerizim, on here in Jerusalem, like where the Jews wanted, where the Samaritans wanted. Where is this temple supposed to be? And he comes and he says this. Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. John 4.23, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. Such to worship Him. No, 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 nothing else. Such to worship Him in spirit and truth. There's going to come a time where there's going to be no more worship other than, that is acceptable to Him other than worship in spirit and truth. But, but this, is a, this is a problem. Because Petey, didn't you just tell me that the spirit and the truth is inaccessible beyond the veil? We can't get there. We, it's, it's, it's far away. But see, then Yeshua found, was on a cross. And as He breathed His last breath, He cried out. And, and in that crying out, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And immediately, everything changes. Everything changes. Because everything that was beyond the veil, inaccessible to you, you can now have access to. The law of commandments, which you may have previously known but could never keep, you can now have access to. Because now, what is the key? The Holy Spirit of God leaves the temple it was enclosed in, now exits it and comes and makes home inside the temples of man, which it could never come in before because of its unholiness, because we were not atoned for, because we could not. Now He comes and He lives in your temple. He the kingdom of God comes inside of you. And if Yeshua doesn't die, this doesn't happen. Do you understand? He doesn't just die to get you into heaven. He dies to get the kingdom of God inside of you. And for you to live just after heaven is for you to deny half of the reason He died in the first place. For you to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. For you to manifest the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Come on. Hallelujah. Do you get me? Like this is why you're here. This is your purpose right now. This is what He has called you to. 1 Peter 2.5, Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua the Messiah. See, you become the conduit by which the earth now can start meeting heaven. You see, before, everyone had to go to this central temple and look, that's wonderful. That's what God gave. I'm not speaking down. But what I am saying is that points to something greater. That is your temple. See, now it's not because here's the deal. Let's just be real for a second. Yeshua came to die for the sins of the world. And the world, as worldly as the world is, they're not going to go to a temple they don't go, go to the temple of Yahweh to meet Him. They're not interested in that. But you know what God decided to do? Well, you know what? I'm going to take my temple right onto their doorsteps. I'm going to bring my presence right into their workplaces, right into their gas stations, right into their schools, right into everywhere the world is. I'm going to send my people who are filled, who are my temple where I indwell, and I'm going to send them into 
their presence and they're not going to be able to get away from getting a taste of the garden itself. Because remember what I said about what the temple represented. The garden. God's presence. See, you have a piece of the garden living inside of you. Do you, do you understand? The garden lives inside. A piece of His kingdom lives inside. And your role is to walk in the earth and let the people come in and have a taste of the fruits that that garden has. And when they see the good fruits, the love, the sacrifices that are so pure and holy, when they meet the God, the, your Father, it should be something that they couldn't look away from. It should be something so attractive. You see, Yeshua was in the earth and there were many who hated Him, granted. But there were many who were lost when they got a taste of the garden, the living waters flowing from within, that they could not turn away from Him. They just wanted to run after Him. And see, He, did, he left, He ascended to be with His Father, not to just, okay guys, I'll be back and whenever, you know, one day I'm going to be back, you, you guys just go on, you know, enjoy. The, the, no, I am now sending you out to be my ambassadors upon the earth to continue what I started here. Why? How? Because I sent a Holy Spirit. That's the point. Part of the, that is the point of why He ascended. So if we look away from that, if we miss that, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I think that I would like to try my best to be equally yoked to my King. Because if He casted out demons, if He healed the sick, if He opened blind eyes and deaf ears, if He set people free emotionally from traumatic things, if He had this power inside of Him, the power of God, accomplishing these things in the earth, would He not want a bride who walks off to that model? You see, when you married your wife, when you married your husband, there was part of you that married them because, wow, I'm equally yoked. I'm equally yoked. That's a big part of why we should marry. Why do we think, because that's, that's a biblical principle, why do we think it would be different? Why would our Messiah not desire a bride who is equally yoked, who walks powerfully in the Spirit herself? So He says to the Samaritan woman, John 4.13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water leading up to eternal life. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had water on a table sitting there? And you know, you're working, you're really busy with work, you're busy with whatever, in an office or whatever, and you're, you're so busy that an hour goes by, and two hours go by, and three hours go by, and, you're, and then suddenly you, you see the water on a table, and you're like, oh, Wow, and you just, it just hits you out of nowhere. I'm, I'm actually so like thirsty. Like, wow, and you, you just, you'll just drink the whole thing and you'll drink another cup because you forgot how thirsty you really were until you saw the water. You see, brothers and sisters, there's, this is twofold. There's some of you who, you've been really busy with other things. And as you were busy, you've, You've not, not even realized how thirsty you've really gotten. You've not even realized that, well, well I, I, I'm actually really, and now that you start seeing what is here, 
Now that you start seeing the living water of the Messiah, His Holy Spirit and what that means, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I need this. And see, this, this goes twofold because the world, they're thirsty. The world, they don't even understand how thirsty they are. And the reason that they don't know how thirsty they are is because it's been a long time since the last time they saw some living water. And, it's, and, and brothers and sisters, what if you're supposed to be a part of that living water for them to see? You see, when we look at what Yeshua said, He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 14, He goes and He says, You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. And he goes on and he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but he puts it on the stand and it gives light to all the house. You see, that, that's saying to say that you are a city set on a hill. You are the light of the world. That's a Sukkot phrase. Some of you may know this. The temple in the first century was known as the light on the world. You are a picture of that temple. You are the light on the world. But get what he says. And this is, the, this is the part that's really like, he says, if you have a lamp, you don't put that lamp under a basket. You put it on a stand. Because you see, you can have a lamp. It's beautifully crafted. It's, it's got value for what it is to light up a dark room. But if I took that lamp, even if it's lit, and I put it under a basket, I hid it somewhere and I put it in a box, somewhere where no one can see it. Even though that lamp has innate value, it has completely lost purpose. Brothers and sisters, what if the ten virgins, you know, the, the ones who had to have the oil, right? They needed the oil to have their lamp burning. What if it was not just about even having the oil, but, but what if you had the oil, but your lamp is hidden? What if you have oil? What if you have Holy Spirit? Because it's not just about, I need the Holy Spirit. That is something. But what if you receive Holy Spirit, but you're too afraid? And you put Him under a basket. You hide Him. Because it's really awkward when He comes out sometimes. Trust me. It's really, it's really scary, the stuff he, he wants us to do. Like walk on water. Or put mud on a blind man's face. It's really weird. But see, if we put Him under a basket, even though we are lights that are valuable because He died for us, we must have value, innate value. But if we hide our lamps, do we not live without purpose? You see, here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Just bear with me here. You can keep every Sabbath day perfectly. You can keep every feast. You can eat as clean as you want and wear tzitzits to the floor and to the end of the world. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a light burning, if you are not a light of the world, you are missing it. You are missing it completely completely and when you face him one day it'll hit you like a ton of bricks and I want you to hear it today before you have to hear it there that he made you to be a light to the world not to just have a pretty Bible study and this is what we I love Bible by the way I love studying the Torah I love teaching it it's amazing but it's not just about having this little Bible study and the world we you know those world those pagans they just those Christians you know they just don't know what they're doing 
What if He called you to be a light to the world? Do you get me? Can I spell it out more clearly? But see, brothers and sisters, there's going to come a day when the temple as we know it traditionally is going to be no more. In the book of Revelation, Yeshua, it's written, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple, Revelation 21, 22, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. This is significant. Because right now, you know, here's the, here's the thing about any light. You, you have a light in a really dark room. It's really effective. Everyone is drawn to it. Everyone sees it. Have you ever like seen a light and you put it outside there? You see all the bugs that go there? Because everything is attracted to the light. But see, if you take that same light and you put it and you go outside and in the middle of a day when the sun is out and you put it outside, everyone's kind of like, well, that's cute. Like, what's up with that light? It's, it's great. It's still, it's still a nice light. It's still all it is. But this sun and all the bigger lights make it shine. It's not as this shining in the same way as it would in a dark room. See, right now, you're in a really dark world. You're in a really dark room right now. And you, to be a light, is very bright. And you will always be very bright. You will always be valuable in the Father's sight. But there's going to come a time when you will be with Him face to face. When you will be in His presence. And you will, there will be no more darkness upon the earth. And you will never be able to shine the way you could shine today. You will never again be able to tell someone about Yeshua who doesn't truly know about Yeshua. You will never be able to pray for the sick because all will be healed. You will never be able to see blind open because all will be open. You will never be able to cast out a demon because trust me, there are no demons up there with Him. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? You see, there's, there's this opportunity that you are sitting in today that has been afforded to you. And, if, and I don't want you to let this pass you by. I don't want you to go through life. The law is beautiful, holy, righteous, and good, and we are supposed to continue walking in it. But it is not the end all, end all, end all, because Yeshua said, I want you to become a river of living water too. You see, and so this feast... This sukkah that we build, this, this is another picture of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the, the temple. We, and why do, we put, why do we decorate it with leaves and things? Because it's a picture of the garden all over again. We're creating the presence of, a picture of the presence of God out here. And we're, when we go in there, it's like His covering over us and we're entering His garden presence. You see, Sukkot is all about how He has been drawing near to His people, increasing intimacy with His people. You see, we have, like I mentioned, we were kicked out far gone, far from the garden. But now He comes in the Exodus and He creates a tent of meeting. He dwells, He gets a little closer even though we can't get face to face or anything yet, he gets closer. And then he takes another step and he reveals himself again as he comes and dwells, he tabernacles among man. Sukkot, like he, I told you what he said. And then the next step is he comes to abide and tabernacle within man, within our temples. 
He's increasing the intimacy, drawing near, closer and closer, up until the final Sukkot, when we will be at the marriage wedding, the wedding feast. We will be with Him face to face, no longer seeing dimly. But now as we are in this current place on the timeline of you being the temple, I want to ask you a question. See, we read about how you are a belt of these living stones. You're a priest yourself of this temple and you are offering sacrifices, you being a living sacrifice. But as you, if you are a temple, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as you walk through this world, I want to ask you this. Is your veil open or not? Are you walking as if the veil has never been torn before? With closed gates to the world where the Holy Spirit is locked inside. Even though you have Him, even though if He dwells there, He's locked inside and, and, and you're not allowing Him to come out. You see, when we rewind to the first century, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood who was corrupt, who came against Yeshua, their issue was they were more concerned about their own image. They were more concerned about this world than the Spirit of God dwelling in the temple. And because of that, their temple got destroyed. To, to this day, it is still destroyed. Similarly, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they, what, they came and approached God casually because, well, I'm just going to take a wild guess. They were probably pretty important people, the sons of Aaron. And they took this role casually. They were more concerned about themselves and what they wanted and all that than about the Spirit of God in the temple. And they were struck down and died. What about Ananias and Sapphira who came and brought an offering, a sacrifice themselves. But that sacrifice that they brought to that temple was one that was false, only for themselves, to build their own kingdom inside of God's. And their temples got destroyed. They fell down and died as Peter just spoke to them. You see, brothers and sisters, my point is this, is how do you approach this world with your temple? And what are the sacrifices that you make? You see, you can be like Ananias and Sapphira who makes a sacrifice of possessions Make that, that sacrifice then with a pure heart. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise Him. Or you could make a sacrifice of your own, of your own uh, putting your pride down, becoming a living sacrifice, laying all things down for Him, dying to yourself. But there's one other type of sacrifice I want to touch on for a moment. Many people don't realize that the Samaritan woman at that very well, when we just talked about that, she made a sacrifice at that well. Because see, when all things were said and done, as Yeshua told her, if you drink of me, you will never go thirsty again and you will become a spring of living water welling up to eternal life too. When he said that, the scriptures say what happened thereafter is John 4, 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You see, it, it could have been that he told her, Hey, drink of me. You will never go thirsty again and you will become a spring of living water. And she could have been like, Okay, cool. Th 
thank you for that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm gonna go now and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that on. I'm gonna really, and she takes her water jar that she's been using every day to come to this well on earth to draw water. This is what she's dependent on. This is how she got her thirst quenched, this well of the world. And she, but she could have taken that and taken that back to Samaria and be like, but what does that tell us? That she doesn't actually believe what he said. Because that would mean that she still has doubt. That would mean, well, yes, you tell me I will never go thirsty again, but just in case I do, let me just take this with me. What does this tell us? It tells us that this is an act of faith above all. You need to believe in what He is telling you. Because you can say, cool story, Petey, nice, I like that story. And you can go home with your water jar. You can go home with that thing you were always dependent on and remain dependent on. And you will go to the world and you will try and offer them water from that earthly water jar that just got water from the well. That water is nothing special. Because people will see that well of water and they'll be like, oh, can I have some of that water? It looks good. Yeah, sure, here's some. The only problem is it's not living water. Because you didn't have the faith to believe that if I drank of Him, I will not go thirsty again. And so I don't need my own dependencies anymore. And I will become a spring of living water. You see, that's what was different in this Samaritan woman. That's what made everything happen with her, was the fact that she actually fully believed what he said. So much so that she forgot her water jar at the well as she became the well. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this question. I hope I'm not too fast for you here. Let me ask you this question. Do you, are you still carrying a water jar? Have you heard Him say, become a spring of living water? I have water that if you drink of me, you'll never go thirsty again. But have you really left your water jar at that well? Or are you still carrying it? Are you still carrying your own dependencies? Are you still carrying dependencies upon the world? And the, th the things of the world that you think could, would, would only ever be able to quench your thirst? The only problem is, is if you go there, you will never be able to see the kingdom of God flow from you. You see, you can get baptized and we're going to have baptisms. It's going to be amazing. But here's the deal. You can get baptized. You can become a believer. You can go through all the motions. But the reason you wake up in the morning doesn't change. You see, if the reason you wake up in the morning doesn't change, nothing changed. If you don't live and breathe His kingdom, if that's not the reason you're waking up in the morning, don't, tell, don't be shocked when His kingdom doesn't come out. Don't be shocked when, when, when that's not... Because if you don't live and breathe His living water, His living water won't be what comes out of you. You won't be the well you're supposed to be. Come on, are you with me, brothers and sisters? Father, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, Lord, come into this place, Father. I pray right now, Lord, your presence, you just come in here. Can I have some piano up here? I'd really appreciate that. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just come into every heart right now, Lord, in this, in this tent. Father, and I pray that you would come and meet us where we are right now. Lord, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray right now that you would convict every heart of the thing that we have not let go. 
the, the water jar that we have been carrying, the thing that's been keeping us back from becoming the river of living water that you want us to be. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would come with your spirit with a sword into our hearts to pierce us where we need to be pierced this Sukkot. So, Father, today we are coming to you and we're saying, Lord, we take the thing we've been dependent on. That was not you. Father, we take that and we come and we lay it down. We make an offering. We give it up to you so you can invade our heart with the next step for us to become a spring of living water.